You're listening to the SSPX Podcast, and welcome to episode number 39 of Questions with Father. Today, we're happy to welcome, for the first time, Father Marcel Ocracy to answer questions about purgatory. A listener asked us to look at the scriptural proof for the existence of purgatory, and how do we know it actually exists? And then we'll look at the practice of praying for our loved ones, and if it's actually effective. And finally, we'll answer a few more questions about purgatory in general, like, does everyone go there? And what are the best ways to avoid purgatory altogether? If you have questions you'd like answered on a future episode of Questions with Father, or to see all the other 38 episodes of this series, please visit sspxpodcast.com. There you can ask your question, and we may feature it on a future episode. Now, let's join Father Ocracy on Questions with Father. Well, we're here with another episode of Questions with Father, and for the first time, welcoming Father Marcel Ocracy. Hello, Father. How are you? I'm very well, thank you, and uh, thank you for having me. Of course, it's a pleasure to have you. You were uh, recommended to us to do one of these episodes by Father Paul Robinson. Uh, So for those of our listeners who aren't familiar with who you are, Father, could you give us a sentence or two about who you are and and what you're currently doing? Yes, of course. I'm currently stationed here at Holy Cross uh, in Australia in Goulburn, formerly Holy Cross Seminary. We're now a pre-seminary. And um, Father Paul Robinson was uh, one of my professors when I was going through this seminary. Um, preparing for ordination. Um, I spent a few years overseas straight after ordination. I went to Ireland in Dublin and I was there for just short of five years. And then the beginning of last year, I returned to Holy Cross. Uh, I taught a year of the seminary. Um, and then this year, just um, been giving a few classes to the pre-seminarian that we had for the, the last 10 months or so. Fantastic. Well, thank you for taking the time to join us and to prepare this uh uh, this question and answer session for us, Father. Um, we're going to be. We're just going to jump right in. We got a question. Actually, it's kind of a three-part question from one of our listeners. Uh, it's all about purgatory, which is appropriate because we're here towards the end of the month of November. Um, and they asked, "Is purgatory really in the Bible? And then, does the Bible tell us to pray for our loved ones, for our dead loved ones? And finally, what is the point of praying for our dead loved ones? So this is kind of a three-parter, but it's basically all about purgatory. Is it scriptural, and what is what are we really doing when we're praying for the poor souls in purgatory? So I'll let you tell me where we're going to start with this discussion, Father. Okay, very good. So um, I, uh, I saw this question on purgatory, and I thought uh, that would be an interesting topic to, uh, to speak about. Um, one thing that uh, convinced me that it would be interesting is... I remember listening to a talk by Archbishop Fulton Sheen on purgatory, and he started with a very uh, relatable uh, scenario where he says that there was a, a monk and he was struggling to uh, get up in time for his morning meditation. So he was missing it, you know, days in a row. And after a few days, the, the, the superior came to him and he said, oh, brother, uh, we noticed you haven't been to the morning meditation these last few days. You know, is everything all right? And uh, he says, well... To be honest, you know, that bell goes and um, I'm just lying in bed. I just I just can't get out of bed. And uh, the superior says, oh, okay, I see. Well, um, tomorrow, you know, when you hear that bell ringing and calling you to morning prayers, you know, just imagine that you are in purgatory and the fires are coming up and enveloping you and you'll just jump out of bed and come down for meditation. Uh, Would you do that for me? And the brother's like, yes, sir. Okay, Father, I'll do that. So um, he he tries it the next day and the the morning bell goes and uh, 
they're waiting in the chapel and still no brother shows up for morning meditation. And so later in the day, uh, the superior chases him down and says, oh, brother, did you try what I, what I suggested for you to, to try? And he's like, oh, yes, father. I mentioned I was there in, in purgatory with the fires enveloping me. And boy, did I like purgatory. <laughs> so, <laughs> yes, wow. it, it does give us uh, an interesting insight into what people's perception of purgatory is. Right, and right. I've heard people talk about, you know, they'd be happy if they just, uh, you know, scrape into purgatory, get their little finger in, and then, you know, at least the job's done. They're essentially, you know, their salvation is guaranteed, and whatever the cost is during purgatory, they'll just, you know, tough it out. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's a good idea for us to to look at uh, purgatory and see what actually is going to happen there, because okay. uh, if we can avoid it, I think it's much more the preferable course yeah, <laughs> rather than having to sit through it. Absolutely. So, Yes. Uh, first of all, um, does purgatory exist? So this is a question. Um, usually we would go to sacred scripture for this. Um, but in sacred scripture, there's no direct proof for the existence of purgatory. Uh, so if you look through the Bible, you won't find a verse that says when one dies uh, with outstanding temporal punishment due to sin, or if you are you know, still guilty of venial sins, uh, you will enter purgatory. And only after you've been purified will you then be allowed to enter into the joys of heaven. There's no verse in scripture that says that exactly. Um, And the best we have is what we call the indirect proof where our Lord or someone in the Old Testament or even St. Paul, they speak about um, something that necessitates a place of purification. Either they speak about the forgiveness of sin after death. Um, or a process of purification which is required before we enter into the the beauty of heaven, the the perfection of heaven. So, yes, only an indirect proof available there. Okay. And we we do have some notes, and we're going to put some of these uh, notes that you've helped prepare for this, Father, up on the the, uh, notes for the podcast as well, so people can can see some of these these quotes and and reference them as well. so that's mm-hmm. scriptural. Nothing definitive there. But what about the tradition of the church, magisterium of the church? Has there has there always been this concept of purgatory, or is it something that developed later? Um, going back to the very beginning of the church, yes, um, the the, ch- the fathers of the church speak about it. Um, I have uh, two fathers who I found speak quite um, emphatically about this this process of purification that can happen after death. Uh, the first one, Saint Cyprian, um, he he's comparing the purification that happens in the fires of pur- purgatory with the the sufferings of the martyrs, and mm-hmm. he says that what happens in you know the blink of an eye or the swinging of a sword for a martyr um, happens over a long period of time in the fires of purgatory, but at the end of the day, they are received by God as a, a full payment for our sins. So he says to be tormented in long pains and to be cleansed and purified from one's sins by continuous fire. He says, this is a different thing from expiating one's sins all at once by the suffering of martyrdom. Mm-hmm. So he speaks about uh, this purification. And then also St. Augustine, um, he talks about uh, purgatory from the aspect of it being a temporal uh, of temporal endurance. He says it's something that will happen during the uh, duration of time 
Um, but once the, the general judgment comes, there will be no more time for purification. So he says that some people suffer temporal punishments only in this life, others only after death, still others both in this life and after death, but always before this most strict and final court. So hmm. the notion of once the general judgment has taken place, that is the definitive end of time. And from then on, we only have eternity, just the state of this, this constant present now. Right. These are, the, these are the words of the church fathers explaining that there is some sort of a place of expiation, of, of um, you know, punishment, cleansing. Um, but can we get into the reason why or, or look at it from the aspect of reason? Why, why does there need to be this sort of a place? Yes, of course. Um, it's not so much uh, necessary in the sense that God had to do things this way. But we can see it from the point of view that it's most fitting that there is a place. Um, and we can take it from uh, two angles. Um, the first one is uh, the sanctity of God. The sanctity of God demands that nothing imperfect or nothing soiled it can enter into the perfection of heaven. Uh, just mm -hmm. the, the nature of God, his perfection, uh, will necessarily exclude any imperfection. And so in order to enter into the beatific vision, to share this, this most intimate life of God, we have to be 100% uh, purified from any stain from this world. Um, and so uh, God's sanctity, or you could say his justice, requires that all debts be paid before we enter into his holiness. Um, we can base that on the words of the apocalypse, which speak very emphatically that uh, uh, nothing defiled or anything that worketh abomination or maketh a lie will enter into the new Jerusalem. Mm. So this new Jerusalem, which is a, a symbol of heaven. But uh, the other side of that uh, coin is that although the sanctity and justice of God uh, make it very fitting, it's also fitting from the point of view of God's mercy because no one who leaves this life in a state of grace. They share some unity with God through charity. It's, it's not fitting that they be separated from God for eternity. And so out of his great mercy, he allows a place where we can be purified from those final um, vestiges of impurity or of sinfulness um, before entering into heaven. Okay. So we've talked about that it does exist. Reason dictates that it does. The fathers of the church have said so. It's sort of in scripture, but what is purgatory? Is it an actual place? Is it part of hell? Is it part of heaven? Is it, you know, what is purgatory father? Right. So, um, the fathers of the church say that it is part of hell. In fact, it's a part of, uh, hell where exactly that exists. We don't know. We don't have a, a GPS location for, uh, <laughs> the inferno. Um, but we know that it's it's attached to to hell because the the means of purification are shared in common with the pains of the damned. So the pains of those in purgatory will be materially speaking the same as those of the damned, with the the difference being that the pains and sufferings of those in purgatory will come to an end. They're of a temporary nature that once their job is done, uh, to remove uh, or to let's say satisfy for past sin once that has been achieved then the souls are automatically released from this state of, uh, state of purification. Um, so being part of, of hell, 
Um, this is the the fire of hell. Uh, there's two types of suffering in hell, um, which we can draw an analogy for the types of, of sufferings that are in purgatory. Um, so in hell, we know that there is uh, this, uh, we call it the moral pains and the physical pains. Uh, the moral pains of hell is a realization. It's more of a suffering from the realization that we had a chance to enjoy God in all of his, his goodness, his beauty, his perfection. We had this opportunity, um, and it was so easy for us to obtain it, and yet by our free choice, we decided to do without it. Um, that's the, the worm of conscience that the, the, the souls in hell uh, suffer for all eternity, this, this knowing that they blew their only chance for eternal happiness. Um, the souls in purgatory, they suffer from this uh, moral pain in a similar way, not so much the fact that they've lost their ultimate good forever, but the fact that they had the opportunity to receive their ultimate good much faster. Mm. Um, it, it's, God, it's not God's plan that we enter purgatory. We, we will look at this a little bit later on, but um, the fact that we can be detained in purgatory for a time is not part of God's original plan. He would like us to pass from this life to eternal life. In a, in a seamless transition. And the souls in purgatory realize this uh, more and more perfectly that the fact that they are detained in the fire is because of their choice. Um, we, we know what it's like to make a bad choice, to, to, to buy something uh, you know, that wasn't quite what we wanted, uh, you know, and we had the opportunity, we could have chosen either way, but we make the wrong choice, and then we beat ourselves up over it for, uh, I don't know, a day, a week, or a year, whatever it might be. Um, so we know what it's like to suffer from making the wrong choice. Um, that suffering for the souls in purgatory will be brought to the, I suppose, the, the, highest, um, the highest degree possible, um, knowing so clearly how stupid we've been to make these bad choices. So the moral pains of hell are also suffered by those in purgatory, but not only the moral pains, also the physical pains. Um, they talk about a purifying, uh, purifying punishment. Some fathers of the church talk about purifying fire, um, this fire which causes us suffering, which allows us to expiate um, for the, the sins that we've committed. So purgatory is like the ultimate buyer's remorse that we that we would suffer here on earth. <laughs> we should have like a... Yes, um, peccat or caveat or something. <laughs> the sinners beware. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you were talking about this. Uh, you, you mentioned this a little bit uh, a little bit ago that this was not part of God's original plan. So let me follow up with that and ask: um, Is it is it possible for someone who is not a martyr? So let's say I died tomorrow and I die in the state of grace. Um, is it possible for me to go straight to heaven? Um, does everyone who dies in the state of grace go to purgatory? Um, so, interesting question. Everyone who dies in the state of grace will eventually end up in heaven. Um, that we know for sure. That's as part of our faith. That when we share the life of God, we will eventually be brought to union with God in heaven. But sometimes there are obstacles to our union with God. And so, insofar as there are obstacles to that immediate union, those obstacles have to first be dealt with. The obstacle to our union with God being... Uh, either venial sin or some form of temporal punishment which is left over from sins which have already been confessed. Um, perhaps we've done some penance for them, um, but we're not entirely clear of them. Um, so, 
Yes, those who, who die in the state of grace, uh, although some can go immediately to be united with God in heaven, um, yes, yeah, some will be detained just because of uh, leftover punishment, which is due for their sins. Okay. So again, God's justice is requiring that if we still have this outstanding debt, it needs to be cleared out in some way, whether by uh, sacrifices, penances that we're that we do here on earth while we're alive, or by purgatory. Um, so yes, the the debt needs to be paid. Uh, God, He is is infinitely just, and there, there's no injustice in Him requiring that we repair for the bad choices that we've made. Um, that's that's perfectly in accordance with his justice. Um, he's not being uh, unkind or cruel to require that on us just because these are choices that we have made. We have freely sinned. We have freely chosen to go beyond or outside of uh, God's order. And so he then requires that as a consequence, we we suffer the the true consequences of what we've done. Is it so then I... I guess the next question that is in many people's mind and definitely in my mind too, Father, is then how do we avoid purgatory entirely? How is that possible? So to avoid purgatory entirely, we have to die in a state ready to enter the beatific vision. And if those conditions can be met, then our salvation is immediate. As soon as we pass from this life, as soon as we breathe our last and our soul separates from our body, we will be judged worthy of eternal life. Um, and we will bypass purgatory entirely. We go straight to the beatific vision. Now, for that to happen, um, we have to be a little bit proactive on our side, just because we know from Scripture that even the just man sins seven times a day. And so even the just man will have some temporal punishment to make up for. Um, and so the church is very helpful to us by encouraging us to do penance at certain times of the year, whether it's during Lent or end of days or vigils of great feasts. Um, she encourages us to, to do some penance so that when we come to die, because we can die at any point, um, we will have sufficiently paid for the, the sins that we have committed. So there, there's three different ways that we can make satisfaction for our sins. Um, the first one is when we, when we go to confession, um, we, we confess our sins, we have true contrition, and then we hear those words of the priest, the absolution, um, absolving us of our sins. We are given in that sacrament a penance. So the priest will often say to us, for your penance, you know, offer a decade of the rosary or maybe do the way of the cross or attend Holy Mass. Uh, these, uh, this penance that the priest gives us um, is sacramental. And so it is able to repair in a great degree for those sins that we have confessed. Um, the only problem is that that penance that the priest gives us, there's no guarantee that it is enough to, to cover all the debt that we have incurred by our sins. And so we are highly encouraged to add uh, sacrifices and prayers and penances of our own, which we add over and above the sacramental penance. Um, there's different ways that these things can work, uh, which we'll look at uh, maybe when we talk about how we can help the souls in purgatory. But after we've made our confession and done our penance, um, the ways that we can then um, fill up 
the, the debt of satisfaction, or let's say pay off the debt to the divine justice. Um, we can do this either through uh, prayers and good works of our own, or we can make a, a point of obtaining indulgences. Um, indulgences are a way to access the, the treasury of the church. It's one of the greatest bargains of all time where we can use other people's merits to pay for our faults. Um, we might incur a, a huge debt. You know, we may be away from the faith for many years. We may, you know, leave the faith when we are teenagers and come back only on our deathbed. Um, and so we might have a lifetime of, of, uh, of punishment to, to pay for. And yet we, we know by all chances, we're not going to live much longer. Um, and so there is an opportunity or there is a possibility that we can access the merits of others, uh, namely the, the treasury of the church, which contains the infinite merits of Christ, the merits of Our Lady, the merits of the saints, the merits of all Catholics and faithful who have offered reparation for the sins of others. And so these are available for souls to access, um, but on the terms dictated by the church. And those terms are what we call the indulgences. So um, we can perform a good work that the church has said, if you perform this work, you will be able to receive a certain portion of these merits. So whether it's just simply making the sign of the cross using holy water um, or uh, uh, attending a, a retreat or um, reciting five decades of the rosary. So these are different works that the, the church has um, attached an indulgence to. Um, it's very uh, fresh in our minds. We've just had the, the, the beginning of November. We've had these eight days where we can gain plenary indulgence for the poor souls in purgatory. Um, and so the good work in that regard was to visit the cemetery and to pray for the souls departed. Um, so anyone who was willing to do that work, they were able to obtain a plenary indulgence, so a complete remission of all temporal punishment due to sin for a soul in purgatory, essentially uh, a ticket out of purgatory. Hmm. Each person on earth was able to obtain for eight souls in purgatory of this immediate admission to the beatific vision. Um, so there, there are certain works which we can perform, which we call indulgences, um, but there are also conditions that we have to meet if we want to uh, obtain these indulgences. So for a plenary indulgence, which is a complete remission of all temporal punishment, um, there are five conditions. So first of all, to perform the work that is specified while being in the state of grace. So you have to be um, a living member of the church in order to contribute to or access this uh, treasury of the church. Secondly, um, to receive Holy Communion on the day that you perform the good work to go to confession within eight days before or after uh, performing the work, to pray for the intentions of the Pope, which are defined by the church. It's not up to the Pope on that particular day, you know, what intentions he wants to, uh, you know, have people pray for. No, th there are set intentions, which are called the intentions of the Pope. Uh, one is the, the spreading of the faith. Secondly, the conversion of sinners uh, and so on. So there's, there's 10 specific intentions that are his intentions. And then finally, to have no attachment to sin. So if we perform any of these indulgence works with these five conditions being met, then we obtain a full remission of all of, our, all of the temporal punishment due to our sins. An example of some of these indulgences would be 
um, to obviously to visit the cemetery on the 1st to the 8th of November, pray for the poor souls, to offer five decades of the rosary as a family or as a community, uh, to do half an hour of the reading of sacred scripture, uh, to do a three-day retreat, to attend a parish mission, to adore the cross on Good Friday as part of the ceremony. So there's many different ways. Those are just a few. There are, there are many more. Um, many ways to, to obtain these indulgences. If we don't have the um, possibility to fulfill the other conditions, then we can still obtain what's called a partial indulgence, which is where uh, some of our temporal punishment is paid off, but not everything. Very interesting. So this is, these are ways that we can um, help ourselves. So we can do these indulgences for ourselves, but then we should also be doing um, penance and sacrifices, you know, these same good works for the souls in purgatory. So we can offer prayers for ourselves, but we can also offer it for those in purgatory as well. Is that correct? Yes, that's right. Okay. So when we offer prayers and sacrifices for ourselves, um, that's very good, a very prudent thing to do. Um, but there is a, a great work of charity, which is to pray for the poor souls. It's one of the spiritual works of mercy, pray for the living and the dead. Um, we can also obtain these plenary indulgences or partial indulgences for others. And what makes this, this holy exchange or this holy uh, gift possible is another doctrine of the church, which is the communion of saints. Um, the communion of saints is uh, the reality that we are all uh, members of the mystical body of Christ. We all have a certain union with Christ through the state of grace, hence the, the necessary condition of being in the state of grace when you perform the work. Um, so the, the doctrine of the communion of saints is the reality that there is a certain connection through charity between everyone in the state of grace. Uh, the souls in purgatory are in the state of grace. Um, otherwise, they wouldn't be in purgatory. They would be lost forever. Um, and so we have the possibility of meriting on their behalf. Because the question of satisfaction is to do with justice, it must be paid, but not necessarily by the one who's guilty. Just right. like we could have a friend who, who gets himself into some you know, financial trouble, we can offer our material assistance. We can say, okay, look, here's, here's a few dollars to pay off uh, you know, your neighbor for uh, using his, um, his mower on the weekend and he wants you to pay for the fuel. So here's a few bob to cover that. Um, the neighbor gets his money but your friend doesn't have to pay. Mm -hmm. And so we can offer our good works um, for the poor souls in purgatory to pay off their, uh, their debts. Um, there's different ways that we can do that. Just as we can obtain indulgences for ourselves and we can make satisfaction for our sins through prayers and sacrifices, we can do the same for the holy souls. But depending on what we choose to do for the poor souls, they work in a different way. Um, there's a, a good theologian called um, Ludwig Ott, and he has a book called The Sources of Catholic Dogma. And um, he, he has a paragraph which I'd just like to read on this. He says, according to the manner and the degree in which suffrages affect satisfaction, we have to make some uh, distinctions. So suffrages are essentially the good works and prayers which we offer for the souls in purgatory. Um, if we do them for ourselves, we call it satisfaction. If we do it for the souls in purgatory, we call it suffrages. Okay. So the suffrages can be offered um, in different ways. So first of all, there are those suffrages which work by the power of the work itself. 
Um, the, the technical term for this is ex opere operato. I think that's something that, you know, the listeners of this uh, podcast are quite familiar with already. So it works by the power of the work itself. And this is nothing less than the holy sacrifice of the mass. Um, it is Christ offering himself on behalf of sinners. So he offers his merits, his satisfaction that he merited on the cross. He offers that for the poor souls in purgatory. So every time we have a mass offered for them, this is a, a necessary or let's say an infallible um, relief that's brought to the poor souls. Uh, the second distinction is those which work uh, sort of by themselves. We call them quasi ex opere operato. And these are the suffrages performed in the name of the church. So any official prayers of the church for the dead, for example, there's the, the obsequies, the absolution um, at the catafalque, or when we bury uh, a person who has passed away, um, the church will offer prayers in her official capacity as the, the mother of that soul. Um, and so God hears the prayers of the church as if they are the prayers of Christ. That's why mm. we call them the quasi ex opere operato. They're far more beneficial and far more powerful than our own private prayers, um, which is the third uh, classification, those which work by the merits of the one doing the work, ex opere operantis. Okay. So these are personal good works of the faithful, for example, almsgiving. A precondition for these last is the state of grace in the person performing the good work. The most efficacious of all suffrages is the holy sacrifice of the Mass. Okay. So we we can help these poor souls in purgatory. Uh, we can help them a great deal depending on our generosity. Um, and something that can help us to, to be more and more generous is to just uh, bring to mind the, the state that they are in, that they're sharing in the pains of the, the damned until the time when their punishment is satisfied. Um, and so it's a, it's a great act of charity, a great act of kindness for us. To, to think about them and to offer little things. Anything can be offered uh, as a reparation for sin. For how long should we be praying for a deceased friend, relative, family member, etc.? And I guess that kind of leads into the question of should we be helping them? I mean, I guess the answer is obviously yes, we should be helping them. Um, but for, for how long? How do we know when a loved one has gone to heaven? And and if so, and if we're still praying for that loved one after they're in heaven, are our prayers wasted? Good question. Um, it, we, we don't know um, when a soul will be released from purgatory. We, we, all we know is that once their debt is paid, they will be released. Um, but because sin is something that is so hidden from our view. Only God can see, uh, you know, the inner recesses of the soul and uh, the choices that people make. Um, sin is something that is hidden from our eyes. Uh, and so we, we will never know uh, unless we receive a, a revelation from God that a soul has actually gone to heaven. Um, and so for us, on our part, the safest course of action is to always pray for our loved ones. Um, even though they may have had a, you know, a good life, uh, may all the signs of a good death may all be there, um, it's still worth our while and it's still a great act of charity to be praying for them. Um, they, they won't be wasted. 
once a soul is released from purgatory, anything that is offered to pay their debts will then be uh, either applied to another soul in purgatory or added to the treasury of the church to be merited by others through the, the power of indulgences. So even if we overpray or oversatisfy for the, the debts of others, uh, they're, they're not wasted. But to just give us some idea about how long a soul may be in purgatory, if we look at the, the different masses that are offered by the church for the souls of those who have passed away, um, you'll see that there's different categories of masses. There's the mass, which can be said on the day of death or the day of burial, um, which prays that the soul be you know, cleansed from their sins, that they be uh, brought into the, the company of the angels and the saints, that they may be enjoying the, the delights of heaven. But there's another type of mass, which is for... Um, several days after the day of death. You can offer it on the third day, on the seventh day, and on the 30th day after death. Um, and the prayers for this Mass are, are very similar to the, the prayers of the day of death. Um, and they, they pray for a, a further cleansing of the, the soul by the power of the Mass. It prays that they obtain pardon for their past sins, and that they obtain eternal rest. So the, the assumption is that if they are still uh, soiled by the stains of this earth, of this life, that they will be finally purified. Um, and if those are not enough to uh, obtain their release from purgatory, the church allows for the anniversary mass every year. So on the, the anniversary of someone's passing away, um, a priest is allowed to say the Mass for that person on their anniversary. Um, and again, it prays that uh, they may be uh, granted a place of refreshment, of happiness, of rest, um, as if they weren't already there. It's just in case they're not there, please grant them this, this favor. Um, take away the rest of their punishment, forgive it, uh, take the, the merits of Christ in the Mass in its place. So, yes, the, the church is very um, sympathetic towards the souls in purgatory. She offers uh, the possibility of these masses on numerous occasions after they've passed away. And then even every year, you know, in a term, uh, well, right. until the end of time, at least, right. um, for these masses to be said to, to guarantee that these souls will be relieved from the, the, the suffering of purgatory as soon as possible. Right. And, and that would be a beautiful thing to do for a loved one to have a mass offered for their for the repose of their soul every every year on the anniversary of their death and again that wouldn't be wasted so to speak yes of course right um we did have a, a another follow-up question that actually just came in today that is uh, a little bit related to this actually it's very related to this um and i know we didn't talk about this first so i'm going to go ahead and hit you with this question um if you need to take some time on it that's fine um but okay. we did have someone else ask um they had heard from a friend that it was not worth having a mass said for a Protestant family member or a non-Catholic family member. Um, is this the case? If, if there's a family member who is not Catholic, is it, is it even worth praying for them? Or could, could I ask you, Father, to say a mass for the repose of a soul of someone who's not Catholic? Um, yeah, that's a, a very good question because I think more and more of us are finding ourselves in a scenario where we have you know, friends and acquaintances who are not Catholic, um, you know, whether it's uh, just a question of people bringing friends to to be acquainted to fellow Catholics. Um, and so we, we are getting to know a lot more people outside our Catholic circles. 
Um, and so, of course, our charity would lead us to to pray for these people. Um, what would happen if someone asked me to say a mass for a Protestant? Um, I think the distinction is permission to say an, a public mass for someone who is uh, not a Catholic um, would not be permitted. So someone who's publicly left the church, um, then the, the church denies them the Catholic burial. So the church will not publicly and officially pray um, for them. However, there's nothing pre preventing the priest from offering his private mass um, for the repose of those souls because you never know what happens in those last moments. Um, the soul uh, is, you know, moments before meeting God, they can receive a grace which melts their heart. Um, it gives them the grace of true contrition. They, they, their eyes are open. They're able to realize, oh, heck, I've just lived my whole life, you know, in opposition to, to God's law. Um, and uh, if I had the chance, I would do it over. I would, I would change. Um, but now it's too late. So they've made an act of contrition. Um, they've repented of their life, but now they have, you know, uh, a lifetime of sin to repair for in purgatory. So it is worth having those masses said for them. It's just that the priest wouldn't be able to, you know, turn around at the beginning of mass and say, this mass is offered for the repose of the soul of, you know, so-and-so, um, you know, right. please join your prayers to the prayers of the church. Um, so that's something that wouldn't be permitted um, just because it encourages uh, I suppose a, or let's say it, uh, it gives no reason for people to make a point of converting before they, right. you know, die. <laughs> right, right. Um, there are certain privileges that are. Children, yes. Yeah, there are certain privileges that are that are uh, kind of set aside for those who are who are Catholic who are part of the church throughout their life, um, but it doesn't mean that we aren't praying yes. for for anyone. Yes, and it's not a case of you know uh, setting ourselves up above others. Right. Um, uh, not at all. It's not that we're better than others, but it is, I suppose, one way to hold out to all the souls on earth. It's like, look, there is so much here and available. Um, you know, make make the most effort to avail of it now um, to, to take it seriously. The question of, you know, conversion. Um, yes. Living a good life and so on. Absolutely. Well, Father, that's uh, those are all the questions that we had for today. Thank you so much. I, I know on my part, that's giving me a renewed emphasis on uh, making satisfaction for my own sins, uh, but also for the sins of, uh, of family members and friends who have passed away. And uh, it's really a beautiful thing. This this circle of of prayers, you know. And, and we didn't even talk about how once the souls get out of purgatory and are in heaven, they're going to return the favor and, and intercede for us as well. Yes, of course. They don't have the the weakness of memory that we have. They'll never forget yeah. um, any any good help that they've received in purgatory. They will repay a hundredfold, time and time again. So yeah, it's never it's never never wasted praying for Absolutely. the poor souls. Father, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it so much. You're welcome. God bless you. You too. Thank you for listening to or watching the SSPX podcast. Please keep in mind the best way to help more people see these videos and to hear this podcast is to subscribe on YouTube or subscribe on your favorite podcast app and rate or review wherever you listen. Also, please remember, this is an apostolate. It's free to listen or to watch anytime, but we also need your help. Would you please consider submitting a one-time donation or sign up for a small $5, $10, or $20 a month donation at sspxpodcast.com? This helps us to continue this important work of sharing the beauty and the truth of traditional Catholicism with as many people as possible. 
Until next time, thank you for listening and God bless you.